The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 64 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. This week, I'm speaking with the author of 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story, written to honor the life of Gail and their love for each other. Although their love story was brief, it was profoundly impactful to my guest, Larry Indiviglia. I'm really excited to have him here today to share not only about he and Gail's relationship, but also his cancer story. I think you will find both to be motivational and inspiring. Let's dive in. Welcome, Larry. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Jennifer, it is indeed a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing to serve people in need, sharing your story and uh, basically you know, kind of handling a topic that sometimes could be sensitive, but it's ever present in our world. And uh, you're doing such a wonderful job addressing it, sharing about it, and in that, and uh, in, in a very, very special way. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for that. I'm really excited for you to share your story today, both your personal story as well as your late girlfriend, Gail's. So I would love for you to just jump in and and start to share your story. Yeah, um, we'll go back to about a little over five years, maybe five and a half, October 2015. And uh, I had just turned, uh, I think I just turned 60. I was a little over 60. I had my annual physical and everything was great. Great blood work. I had been going to my same doctor for 22 years. Ray knew me very well. Anyway, everything looked great. And one of the things he recommended I do, it had been 10 years since I had a colonoscopy. I had one at age 50, no polyps, everything was great. And uh, he says, well, Larry, it's been 10 years, you should schedule it. I said, sure. So I scheduled it fairly quickly, okay? And about four weeks later, I went in and um, very routine, uh, nothing uneventful. They give you the report, we found one small a very, very small uh, polyp about the size of a pinhead or a pencil pinhead. And um, that was it. And we snipped it out. Well, okay. Four days later, I get a frantic phone call from from the doctor saying that the polyp was cancerous and that she couldn't believe it. She was sending it to another lab because it was so small. Went to a second lab. They validated it. Okay, so you have cancer, you know, you get that diagnosis. So we don't know what stage. Um, So you go in for imagery, you get more blood work, they look at markers and all this. And uh, there was no indication of any spread in all those various tests. So they wanted to go in and do a resection of the rectum. It was located in the rectum to be sure there was nothing above, to the side, underneath, on top of that polyp area. You know, frankly, I didn't want to do it. I went out, I consult, consulted a Chinese medicine person, a macrobiotic person, a medical intuitive. 
I got a second opinion back at Sloan Kettering in New York because an associate of mine worked back there. They told me the same thing. If you get a if you get a resection, it's a 45 minute outpatient procedure. Um, it doesn't look like there's any indications, but we could be sure if you do that, that you know we'll find out if there's any more cancer down there. Okay. 30 days later, I made a decision to do it. December 31st, 2015, I got the surgery. Wasn't the easiest in the world. Remember, there's no minor surgery unless the other person's getting it. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but I made it through. And uh, fortunately, I had to wait two weeks for the results. They didn't find any other spread of the cancer other than what was in that polyp. So at best, it was a stage one because it was restricted and isolated in the rectum, and that was it. I'm happy to say five years later, I'm cancer-free. I am an expert on colonoscopies now, but everything, I'm very blessed, uh, the cancer is behind me. October 15th, coincidentally, but maybe not, a woman named Gail went in for a mammogram at age 68. And uh, this was up in Los Angeles, and Gail was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Wow. There, was that her age. first diagnosis? Uh, that was her first diagnosis. Um, uh, let me, let me uh, turn the clock back. She was 64 when she was diagnosed. Okay. okay. And uh, first diagnosis ever. Um, she had been tired. She was a professional photographer for 33 years in L.A., had her own studio, very accomplished. But um, now she has stage four cancer. Over the next four years, Gail battled it. Um, she had a mastectomy, single mastectomy. Uh, it moved. It was in her lymph nodes with the stage four. It moved to her lung. So she went chemo, had a chemo port, did the chemo. They arrested it in the lung somewhat, but it moved to her bones in her neck. She had to have two surgeries to get it out of her neck. A year later, it moved to her brain. She had to have radiation in 2018 on her brain. Uh, she almost didn't make it, but she did. And so, so after the radiation in the brain, it was somewhat in remission. Then it was lingering in her lung, but the chemo, Jennifer, kept it at bay. Some reason yeah. she also chose to do high, uh, to keep her immune system as high as she possibly can. She went on a natural diet. She drank pH water. She did all the right things as far as taking junk out of her diet. And she lived a very Spartan, Spartan nutrition plan and boosted her immune system. She saw a medical intuitive during the Western medicine approach and also some other methodologies. She used CBD oil. She eventually um, went to a medical intuitive and also to a naturopath and integrative medicine doctor to work along. So she felt, let me boost my immune system as high as I possibly can. Hopefully that will prevent the cancer from spreading and also work with the chemo. And Jennifer, that worked for a number of years for Gail. Um, so 2015, or we were, we got to 2019, so four full years of this, she actually had to move down from L.A. and live with her mother here in San Diego, 
and she had a full-time job is to take care of her health. She wasn't married. She had been married three times, but she was single and she had to shut down her business. And basically uh, her life was to battle the cancer. And she did that um, over four plus years. She decided and made a powerful choice in early January, 2020. So a little over a year ago, I guess, to go online and try to love again and to continue to live not in the shadow of cancer, but cancer be damned. I am living my life. I believe I could beat this and I do want to meet somebody. She hadn't had a relationship since prior to her cancer diagnosis. So she went online in January, 2020. And so did I, and we met online. So we had two actively aging seniors in their 60s who met online and perhaps against all odds she battled stage four lung cancer or breast cancer we um were captivated by each other she was very forthright on the phone when i met her after we viewed each other and uh, we we went on a date after our phone conversation the next night and we hit it off and uh over the next 126 days and 11 minutes we had a very, very, uh, very, very endearing, compassionate, loving, uh, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual connection. And we focused on the today, not on the yesterday or yeah. the tomorrow. And, um, and I, I do believe that, uh, the universe and the higher authority brought us together for that reason. So two cancer stories. One more advanced than the other, yet we did come together for for a reason. Yeah. No. So I would love to know, you mentioned um, that both you as well as Gail had worked with a medical intuitive. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering how many people listening are actually familiar with medical intuitives. I have had one experience um, which was so curious. I, it was a, a, the experience I had was actually with two other friends. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the three of us with the medical intuitive, um, actually in, in Southern California, (laughs) um, we, we had like a four hour meeting with her and it was just a very interesting experience. So I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit more about that. If you're, if you're open to that. Yeah, um, my own experience was was kind of brief, but I did I, I did consult one as I was doing the research after my uh, rectal cancer diagnosis, and um, you know, and the medical intuitive at that time said, well, you know what Western medicine is saying, and what they're proposing to do because I had gotten the second opinion at Sloan Kettering, and I'd already had the opinions here in San Diego, and um, she says, but maybe there's another road here. And I think maybe we should pursue that. So my intuition, Larry, is consult the Chinese medicine person, consult the macrobiotic person, okay, and and get the information and see how they assess you and see what they tell you, okay, as to where where they think the cancer is at. And um and, you know, so she kind of steered me in that direction. Would I have done that on my own? Uh, I may not have. I may not okay. have, Jennifer. So 
And I'm glad I did go down because I talked to the macrobiotic healer who had done a lot of work with cancer patients over the years through through her nutrition program, macrobiotics, very, very strict regimen uh, nutrition program. And then the Chinese medicine was the most, I don't want to say fascinating, but they said, you know, Chinese medicine looks to the root source. Yes. Okay. The, the, the root of the tree, not the branches. And, you know, he kind of said sometimes Western medicine and all due respect, you can only cut off so many branches, but if the root is still unhealthy, you're just going to grow more unhealthy branches. Okay. So we like to get to the root and everything he did with me. He said, if this is cancer, that's to the root and it's very, very insidious already. And he didn't see that. He said, Larry, I, I don't see this. I, I, I see this as, as maybe a warning. Maybe you're something not quite off. And maybe this is just a warning. I don't see a deep rooted cancer in you. Yeah. Okay. Now I, however, he did, he did not say do not get the surgery, do not get the resection, but he said, I don't see it as, as deep rooted. So, I eventually made, and the medical intuitive, I checked in with her and she said, peace of mind is very important, Larry. And if you feel you're going to get peace of mind through the surgery, um, and it's not like they're taking your rectum out, this is not like a major removal of an organ, then perhaps you need to go that route. And that's the route I eventually went down. Okay. And it turned out I didn't have any cancer. So. Now, Gail, on the other hand, relied on her medical intuitive for many years to make decisions. Okay. Should I do chemo now? Are you feeling that for me? Radiation is in the brain. They would discuss it. They would talk about it. So in, in respect to Gail, and Gail was deeply more mystical than me. She had more of a tie to astrology. And in deeper levels, I believe in it than I did. So she was really attuned that way. But she did go down traditional routes and traditional approaches with also some alternatives in combination. And her medical yeah. intuitive helped her along that way, Jennifer. Okay. So it wasn't like, don't do radiation, don't do chemo. So it was a discussion. And where Gail was, we got to remember now stage four. Right. You know, you're further down the line. So For sure. Gail always um, relied on her medical intuitive and she felt helped kept her alive up to four and a half years after that stage four diagnosis. Yeah. I really, really love when alternative practitioners are working in concert with mm -hmm. where we where East and West can meet yeah. and really come together for the best outcomes. And I, really appreciate that in holistic practitioners, as well as our Western medicine doctors, mm -hmm. um, having that openness. And I, I love that the medical intuitive that you worked with brought up that peace of mind, because oftentimes, right, that peace of mind and, and being able to put the mind to rest can really serve us in such amazing ways. Now, I, I think it's important, and I agree with you 100%. Um, 
I think it's important because this has come up um, after I wrote the book, 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story, which is about Gail and I's love story. It, it does incorporate some of her cancer journey, what she was going through, certainly, uh, until she transitioned. There was a, a juncture in the book where she gets her every quarter or every four month scan of her brain. She had not had brain activity for a while. And they appeared to be lesions reforming. And this was four weeks, not even four weeks after I met Gail. Oh, wow. Now, she talked to her medical intuitive. And at that time, I think they were on the same page. She was not going to pursue to get re-radiated in her brain. And I think there's some restrictions on that. I just don't want to oversimplify it. Because I think if you you can only do so much radiation on certain spots and things like that, but right. but she she was not going to get re-radiated again, and that was something the intuitive said with her. Y- you know, Gail, I don't I don't think that's the way to go here, and um, and they went to mistletoe instead of that to try to hold it at bay, and mistletoe became available. Because I I think, um, not to get into politics at all, but I think Donald Trump did sign an executive order that if you're at stage four, you can have access to certain alternative modalities that prior to that you couldn't. So Gail could, and she went that direction. But I think the key thing was when the Western medicine approaches made sense, she went with them and it extended her life. And when it didn't, I don't think when looking back, if Gail had went radiation again, I am not going to say today she would be alive today. I I don't think she would have, frankly, because I think it was more advanced than she had thought. And it eventually metastasized even more to her brain. And that's what took her life. But I did want to add that. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we all, you and I talked about this a little bit off air we're all so unique. Like while cancer, a type of cancer can be similar person to person, like how we respond and uh, how our bodies respond, how we respond to treatments, um, the mental position that we come to these diagnoses with is all so unique. And I think the most important thing for people is that they feel good about their choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's super important. So we're going to take a quick break and Larry and I will be right back to talk more about his book and he and Gail's love story. Stay with us. I hope you're enjoying Unspoken Cancer Truths. I help people to get moving again and sometimes you just need to switch up the approach or find a new challenge, especially when thinking about starting back after treatment or an illness. One of my goals is to help you flip the idea of exercise as something that's hard, awful, or daunting, and make it something fun, maybe even a little social. Safely, of course. The important thing is that you want to get started, and you're happy to show up for yourself, and then you want to stay in the game because it feels good to move, and you had fun doing it. Ready to reimagine exercise? You can email me at jennifer at fitnessdesignsolutions.com or schedule a copy chat with me through the Facebook group, 
surviving is just the beginning. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Larry, and we have been talking about both his experience with cancer and his late girlfriend, Gail. And I would love to know you wrote a book um, about your experience, 126 days, 11 minutes. And you and Gail were both in your mid-60s when you met. And I love that she was online looking for love with stage four cancer. That just, there's something so positive and hopeful about that. I just, I love that. Um, but knowing that she was battling stage four cancer, what prompted you to pursue the relationship? Wow. Um, very insightful question. And one I'm, I'm asked uh, sometimes is I was captivated by Gail's courage and her honesty. Um, she, she had a beauty and sensitivity and gentleness about her. In fact, her her name online on the online dating site was Tender, T-E-N-D-E-R, Tender Lioness, Tender Lioness. So it was kind of a tender side of her. But then there was also a steely, strong, courageous, determined woman who was not going to have cancer take her life. She battled it, Jennifer. She battled it. And, um, you know, when I when I had the interaction with Gail on the phone and then the next night we met, I was very captivated by her, by her courage. It was easy. She had puffy eyes because at that time she was still on chemo for some of the lung activity and she didn't apologize for anything. She was just there who she was. She wasn't trying to hide anything. She was an absolutely beautiful woman. Cancer had taken some of the sheen off of her beauty. Okay. Uh, she had had neck surgery. The radiation had taken some of the sheen off. And she told me that she says, but you know, Larry, I'm here who I am, who I am. If I didn't think I could be a woman, I wouldn't be sitting here. I am not an invalid. Okay. And she said, I, I have every reason that I am going to beat this. I have, it's four plus years now. There's things I'm doing that I'm very hopeful for. She's very, very courageous and very, very honest. And she had a great sense of humor and she was very, very attentive to me. And she was also, uh, there was just something about her. I, I wanted to find out more about her story and I really felt our connection was for a deeper purpose. She never thought she was going to die 126 days later when we met, nor did I, okay? So we approached it day by day. And, um, you know, sometimes society says don't risk. Sometimes right. it's, it's riskier. It's riskier not to risk because you're going to miss out on something very powerful, very life changing. And I felt Gail made that powerful choice to embrace life and love, even in the shadow of cancer. And you know what? I'm living my life just as she did. She was an Argentine tango dancer. She kept her dancing going. She she really concentrated on the life things that she could control and that yeah. she could do, not what she can't do. So I said, society, be damned. Follow your heart. The heart has no questions. The mind sometimes has no answers, but the heart right. has no questions and pursue it. So those were some of the reasons I did. 
I love that. So I would love to have you share one or two of your favorite moments in with Gail that you share in the book. Yeah, um, you know the book, uh, one hundred twenty-six days, eleven minutes, our love story. It's it's interesting how it worked out, where there was just fate. Sixty-three days, Gail was relatively healthy. I'll say she was able to do things, even with all her supplementation, her nutrition plan, her activities, her workouts, her meditation, her body work, uh, different therapies she was using in addition to some chemo that she was still on for the first month that I knew her and some alternative methods uh, that she also used. And um, uh, then there were 63 days when the cancer came back, okay, and metastasized to her brain. So there was 63 days of fun and frolic and things we did, and it's all documented in the book. Each chapter is a day. So there's 126 chapters is by day, each day has a title. So I cover a lot of ground that way. And then I also cover when she was admitted to the inpatient hospice. So one of the um, the interesting things was a nice moment. I remember Gail was into nature and it was a rainy night and we decided to go to La Jolla Shores Beach. It was kind of, there was some mood, some dark clouds, some drizzle. And we just took our shoes off and there was nobody else on the beach. We walked on the beach, knee deep water. And it was just a mystical night. Like it was these moments that, you know, you're together. And, you know, she told me, she says, you know, Larry, I really miss this. Like to be able to connect with somebody. And, you know, we didn't talk about cancer. We had the sand between our toes, as she always liked to say. And it was just very, very special evening. And I just remember that one. I always go back to that one. And uh, uh, it's something I'll always remember. And then um, the other moment, which was more poignant in a way, it was about a week before Gail transitioned. And uh, she was in an inpatient hospice home or bed facility. And they have a a nurse, uh, 12-hour shifts, RN assistant nurse and the uh, homemakers who do the bathing and the changing and that type of thing. And her name was Lydia. And it was a week before Gail died. And it was at the end of her shift. She came in, she knocked on the door. She said, Larry, um, I want to say goodbye to Gail. And I said, well, Lydia, aren't you working tomorrow? She says, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. And, you know, the hospice people know when they see somebody Trend, you know, getting close. And yeah. she knew that when she came back from vacation, Gail would probably have already transitioned. And at that time, Gail couldn't see and she couldn't talk. She could hear. And Lydia went up to her, Jen, and said, Gail, thank you for letting me take care of you. You're a beautiful person. And, you know, when you think about it, that is humanness right there. Yeah. When you sit there and you see that, and I could see Gail, a little bit of a smile, and then Lydia, you know, she excused herself. She kind of was crying a little bit. But I just always remember that moment. It was very powerful. And it was the level of care that those hospice nurses and staff put in and how they're really committed to what they do. And, and that was one that I remember in the hospice situation. And then also, 
you know, during the better days when Gail was still well. So those are two moments from the book that they're in the book and I talk about them. Yeah. That's really beautiful. That brings us to another topic that I think is so, so important. Um, We were also talking in the break about when you become a health advocate um, Mm. for another person and the importance of honoring their wishes. Um, So often we have our own attachments, right? And to really be able to, to honor their wishes and, and keep that front of mind, you, you talked about her being inpatient hospice. I would love to have you share a little bit about that becoming that health advocate and, and really being able to keep those wishes in the forefront and, and some of the benefits of hospice as well. Yeah, and it'd be a pleasure to do that for your listeners because I, I I believe there's some things that until you're faced with them, you don't know what you don't know. Okay, and then if, absolutely, even if you, and each case is different, Jennifer. And we talked about that earlier. Each cancer case, or it doesn't have to be cancer. Each end of life case is is different, you know, in a sense. Um, you know, Gail um, made the decision. She had lived with her mother down here in San Diego. She did not want to, to transition at her mother's home. Her mother was elderly. She did not want to place that burden on her mother. She had moved in with me just, I'll, I'll say it was temporarily, but we didn't know it was only going to be five days. She got very sick and I had to bring her to the hospital and uh, to get the final diagnosis, which we did. She had no more they could do with four brain tumors, and and that was it. There was nothing more they could do. So then you listen to what she wanted, okay? She did not want to die in pain. Uh, Gail had been through enough in over four years. She did not want to die in pain. And um, this was during COVID. She didn't want to die in her mother's home, and she also did not want to die in my place. She said, Larry, I don't, I've only known you a short period of time. I don't want to die in your house and place that burden and that energy on you. I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. Okay. That's a powerful choice. Yes. Um, and, and, and during COVID also, she asked me questions and I listened. She said, you know, Larry, I don't want to die in pain with COVID in it in a hospice situation, if it's in any kind of a home, am I going to get the care that I need to keep me out of pain? And um, so we knew that she needed to hopefully get into an inpatient hospice arrangement because the home was not, it wasn't her home. She didn't have a big house to go to, you know, so she, each case is different. So I listened to that and she stuck to her truth and what she wanted. And when we were in the hospital, uh, I, I detail it in the book very respectfully of what we had to go through to get her admitted to the Har- uh, Sharp Hospice Hospice Home, inpatient home. And there's three of them in San Diego County. And we were able to get Gail into one of them, thankfully. Uh, she did not die in pain in that inpatient hospice. Uh, the staff was wonderful. There was, um, so I, I think the biggest thing is as health advocate, listen to the person, 
I didn't insist, well, Gail, I don't care what you think. I'm bringing you to my place and I'll do whatever it takes to take care of you. She didn't want that. So we had to choose what's available. And there was some nip and tuck and things we had to go through. I talk about it in the book to get her admitted. And we did. And the inpatient hospice experience, this was during COVID, reduced staff. They do have a a medical uh, musical therapist who was on site. She was awesome where they play music for the people who are transitioning. When I was there, I visited Gail 44 straight days, and they had three other rooms. Gail was the youngest patient uh, there, and there was transitions. I couldn't talk to other family members because all the common areas of the home were off limits. You had to just go to your loved one's home because of COVID. So that encouraged me to be more present with Gail to journal more, take notes, and really to be as attentive as I possibly could with Gail. And I'm, I bet you the other uh, family members of the other people transitioning had to do the same because we could only go to the restroom and that's it. So hospice also provides you a spiritual counselor. Gail didn't want one on the phone because the spiritual counselor couldn't go live to hospice. They could only go on the phone because of COVID. They were great with me. They checked in with me once a week or my needs being met. The actual nursing staff, the assistant nursing and the homemaker, PM shift and and um, AM shift were just awesome. And their experience, they see a lot of what the patient goes through yeah. and they know how to manage pain. It was a very, very uh, positive experience. Um, and I think Gail was able to find peace there, Jennifer. Uh, before she transitioned on her last walk here through through life. So, yeah, those are some of the things I learned. Yeah, that is amazing. I Hospice can be so comforting and provide us with and provide our loved ones with that sense of comfort and support during mm-hmm. what can be a very challenging and emotional time. Very. So thank you so much for sharing about that. Um, I would love to just give you a moment. Is there anything else that you would like to share today? Um, I'm going to have some links to the book and also to your um, your website as well. We'll be in our in our notes that accompany the podcast. But I would love for you to share any closing thoughts. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that are important is unconditional love. I think there's a lot of Gales and Larrys out there uh, who are Gales who are struggling, perhaps with stage four breast cancer, especially with women. And maybe there's Larrys out there that are afraid to take a leap or take a step and get get uh, and have a relationship with somebody. It doesn't necessarily have to be cancer. It doesn't have to be life threatening. But don't let society tell you what to do, because you will have a very powerful experience and a powerful connection that could live, you know, who knows, Gail might've lived very, very long. You know, it didn't turn out the way in her case, but there are cases where it does happen that way. And every case is different. So unconditional love, love yourself unconditionally first. So you could love somebody unconditionally. Okay. I didn't have any conditions on Gail because I had done some personal work, Jennifer, and I love myself unconditionally first. And um, 
I think that's an important lesson I also learned from Gail. Also, always um, stand in your truth, because she did uh, till her very end of transition. She died on terms as best she could define for herself. I think she found peace. She didn't die in physical pain. And those were important to her, you know, at that end of life and into the next transition. And find peace as much as you possibly can and try to provide that to a person. Just like you un love yourself unconditionally, find peace if you find yourself in an end of life transitional situation with someone, a loved one or some other person. Bring your own peace first, then you can help maybe that person find peace, but you cannot just provide it to them. They right. have to get a mental and emotional peace on their own, and it's all different. And, um, and you don't have to do it alone. You'll find that uh, people will reach out to you in, in moments of need and don't be afraid to reach out as well um, when you're on such a journey. So those are some of the, the lessons and, and powerful things that, uh, that uh, I learned from Gail and our love story. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story and your story with Gail. That is, it's really inspirational. And I, I thank you so much. Um, you're very welcome, Jennifer. 126 days, 11 minutes. Our love stories are available on Amazon Books in Kindle and and paperback form. It would also be coming out in audio uh, almost any day now. We're expecting it to be on audio soon. So. Fantastic! And the link will for that will also be in the description for the podcast. So check that out there. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Thank you for your time and. Uh, uh, I hope your listeners got some value out of our conversation today. Yeah. I know they absolutely did. It was such a pleasure talking with Larry this week. I'm especially grateful for him sharing his cancer story at the beginning of our chat today. If 100% of those of us who are eligible for colonoscopy screenings, age 50 to 75, hopefully soon to be 45 to 75, if we actually get those screenings in the year that we're scheduled to, tens of thousands of cancers can be found early, just like Larry's. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I never want anyone to have to face a cancer diagnosis. However, if you do, I want it to be early. If you'd like to check out the book, 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story, you can find the link in the show description. I am on a mission to interview new guests just like Larry every week to bring more connection and share more amazing stories of cancer survivors, caregivers, and support organizations. Whether you think you may want to share your story or if you just want to share with me directly, let's connect. You can find a link in the show notes where you listen to the podcast or you can connect with me in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. Many of my past guests are there, along with other people just like you, who may even have some of the same questions. At the top of the group, there's a pinned post where you can also schedule a coffee chat with me. Press to connect via Zoom or a phone call and get you started. Thanks for listening and have a great week.